Will y'all please take a seat? I'm excited to be with you guys and hang out this week. I'm going to try to adjust this stand. Our bass player used it, who's noticeably taller than me, which sadly happens pretty often. Uh, so all I have to say is, I'm going to try to, okay, there we go. Let's see if I can do it while still talking to y'all. Well, hey, all that to say is we are really glad that you guys are here. If you've been hanging out with us sometime, here's what you know. We are working our way through the book, First Thessalonians. When I call it book, really, you can more accurately call it a letter, and we're calling the series Goals. The reason we're calling it Goals is because it's written about a church that was faithfully getting after it because of a love for Christ and wanting to grow more and more in that love. It's because of that, that's what we want to talk about. And today, what we're really going to see is this church's understanding of something brought peace. It brought comfort in the midst of grief. Before we jump into that, one of the things that I love having the privilege to do, and the word is privilege, it's a passion, is getting to come and tell people about Jesus. A stage, a one-on-one conversation, a stranger, someone I know, a community group in a living room, a platform, at a conference, whatever. I don't care the privilege of telling somebody about Christ. I can remember one of the first times I realized that about myself, right? I was 21. I'd trusted Christ. I'd been walking along, about a year had passed, and I had an opportunity to come and give a public talk. Don't think sermonette, but think more sermon. And my first public talk was a eulogy. It's actually a eulogy for a friend of mine. He'd been the first friend I'd made. I'd moved to Dallas, the first friend that I had made. I can remember as a Christian, it was the first time I really began to wrestle with, process, and think through death. Because I remember this guy, I'd see him two to three times a week. We'd hang out. We'd go to church together. There was this recovery ministry that we were both a part of. I'd go eat dinner with him. He and I ate more chicken tenders from Popeye's than anyone ever should, right? If you don't know it, they're delicious. I would get spicy with red beans and rice. That's your recommendation, literally worth coming today. But I would hang out with him, and I can remember, he suddenly and he tragically died. And that was the first time really wrestling with grief and death. And what does that look like? And for me, I can remember preparing, right? Because this group of people were coming together and they wanted to celebrate his life, his faithfulness and everything he'd done. And there was a, hey, John, why don't you do the eulogy? I didn't know how to do that. I can remember, though, going into it, mourning and grieving the real loss of my friend but I also can remember having the privilege of celebrating the faithfulness that I'd seen. So we come, and the way this group of folks, they wanted to do it, they didn't necessarily want to call it a funeral, a memorial. It was like this life celebration thing. People were piecing it together, and they wanted it to be outside. He loved being outside. So in Dallas, right on the east side of Dallas, there's a place called White Rock Lake. It's this beautiful place you can go. There's this path all the way around it, scooters, bikes, joggers, families, picnics, the whole thing. It was an afternoon in October, and the weather was perfect. We go out there. We set up chairs. There was probably, I don't know, 20, 30 chairs. Set that up. There's this beautiful portrait of him. They get everything set. They come. His ashes, he'd been cremated. They were there. I can remember a friend gets up to go, and he leads this time of worship right at the beginning. Where worship, we came, and I can remember thinking, we are singing songs of praise as he 
has passed. And I remember thinking through, like, that's weird. Like, we're singing praise in the presence of death. And I can remember after that, you go and sing these songs, and there was this excitement for a moment, and I came up, and here's what I told people about my friend. I said, this friend has the type of faith that I want to have, and I would encourage you to have. And there was this moment where nervousness and trembling and all that kind of stuff, to the best of my ability, celebrated everything I'd seen in my friend. And there was this weird thing where I talked about it, where towards the end, I can remember sharing and thinking through this. It's not the end. I'll see him again. I will say hi again. We will feast in a different way again. We will rejoice again. And I can remember after that, because then I do the eulogy moment, and then we took time, there was this transition and break, and then we'd have people come up, and they'd share memories. And some of these memories were sincere and more of a serious note, and some of them were absolutely hilarious as we just laughed about the love of our friend. After that, we broke out, and it became just this fun, imagine like potluck meets grief session meets celebration. And we hung out under a beautiful Dallas sky right beside a lake, celebrating with music in the background, laughing about our friend and talking about how we want to excel more with a knowledge. This is not the end. Here's, here's the reason I start with that. That was the first time I began to realize something. Um, amongst Christians, Christians, when we go to say goodbye... I never realized this, but I began to think through, with Christians, we don't ever really, uh, truly, ultimately say goodbye. Instead, it's much more of a, I'll see you later. I will see you later. Does that remove a sense of finality from death? No. Yes, it's both. Because as Christians, there's no true, because there's a reunion, we'll see it in the text today, there's no true, ultimate, forever good by amongst each other is the church and the kingdom of God. There's an I see you later. The way we're gonna see that is just laid out in the text today. Where Paul, he's going to answer this question that this group of people were writing to him about, hey, what has happened to those who believed in you, or excuse me, believed in Christ and have already passed? He's comforting them. He's meeting them in grief. And what's his theme? He's going to talk about how in death, because Christ overcame death, removed the sting of death, and will one day come again. We don't truly say goodbye. We only say, I'll see you later. The reason I think this is essential for people is grief is a reality. Christians grieve, right? The Bible never says, the text today doesn't say Christians don't grieve death, the loss of friends, family, spouses, children, loved ones. It doesn't say that, but it does say we are not those who grieve without hope. Why is that? We have a living hope in Christ. 
And so church, for us, wherever you are, if you've experienced pain in death, finality, loss of those, or, or really your life as you sit here, that's not yet something you've walked through, here's what you gotta know. Death is coming, and we are not those who mourn without hope. Why? We believe in a king that removed the sting of death. And we'll talk about that more in a bit. The part two that I think, I think why this matters is the backdrop, the lens through which the Apostle Paul, he's the guy who wrote the letter, he's really going to answer this question of, hey, what happens to Christians when they die? The backdrop he's going to answer is really through the second coming of Christ. Who here loved the movie Armageddon? Seriously, more y'all had to love that. Did y'all cry at the end of that? Yeah, there's like four truth tellers. The rest of y'all are liars. That was super sad. Well, all I'd say, Armageddon, right? That is this prototypical example of movies that are almost like apocalyptic. End of the world. There's something that's true inside the hearts of people is the idea that this world will come to an end. You don't have to believe that because of a faith perspective. You can just watch things on Hollywood and say, okay, here's where it's going. Here's the reason I share that, though. There is a tenet, a cardinal point, an essential to the Christian faith. Christians, and if you're here, if you're a non-believer, this matters. We believe that Jesus Christ came. He lived a perfect life. He died in perfection for the payment of my sins and yours. He rose from the grave three days later to prove everything is true and death is no longer our master. Why? Because we believe. And that's where death for us is not an end point, but a jumping off into eternity with him. But one of the things we also believe is that he came and he will come again. He will come back for his people. He will come back and he will roll up the scroll of time. And he will renounce in an eternity with him. And for those who deny, who disbelieve, who reject him, he will honor their wish. And he will say, if you didn't choose me, if you didn't want me, I will not force myself on you. Depart to an eternity in The reason I share this for you is today is not a hell and brimstone Sunday, but part of the second coming is meant to encourage the church around the reality of we have to tell the world. God saves and he sends us. But if you're here and you're wrestling with faith, I wouldn't be loving you well if I didn't remind you of this reality. You don't have a perpetual amount of time. Every life is on, if anybody watches basketball, a shot clock. Death, biblically, is no accident. Death, biblically, is an appointment. There's a time. And that shot clock can wind down either, depending on how you view it, and the second coming of Christ, or in preceded death before. So if you're here and you're wrestling with faith, here's all I'm asking you to do. You don't have to check in on the apocalypse part. You don't have to worry about any of that. Here's all I'm asking you to consider. Just may that make it more reason to consider if the claims of Jesus are true. Because I would tell you they are.
That's why I think this matters, is we realize Christians amongst one another, with each other, we never truly say goodbye, but we do say, I will see you later. Where are we going to see this? We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to finish the chapter. We're going to look at verses 13 through 18. 13 through 18. We're going to talk about specifically, why is it that we say, see you later? Because the first part, he is coming. That's the reality. Christians, we believe Christ has come. Christ will come again. And the second part, why do we believe that we don't ultimately say goodbye? But in reality, we say, I'll see you later. Because he's good. He, God, is good. And you'll see it through the text. To set it up again, kind of the direction we're taking it. There's this moment where the text, throughout, throughout this letter, it transitions right here, where you almost get this theme, this hint at this church, this group of people in Thessalonica. It was, it was a growing body in modern-day Greece. They had almost sent back, with, there was this guy named Timothy that had gone to check in on him. They'd almost sent back with Timothy this question. The question was, hey, what happens to Christians when they die? Why? Because this new group of believers knew two things. They knew Jesus Christ was true and he changes lives. Believe in him. They've walked away from pagan idolatry. But they'd also learned he's coming back. They'd also been taught he will come again. And so there's this question what happens in the interim? between one coming and the next? What happens to the friends and the family members that have passed away? And the Apostle Paul, he answers that question. I'm gonna read all of verses 13 through 18, and then we're gonna come back through and talk about the first idea out of this text. Verse 13, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are Asleep, you'll see asleep, it's a reference for dead. That you may not grieve as others who, who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So two, two key ideas right here before we jump into it. Paul, he's writing this to comfort them, and he gives them a theological response to it. He gives them a breakdown of the beginning eschatology, end times, apocalypse now. He gives a process to it, and he even says, hey, I declare this to you as something I have received from the Lord with a prophetical voice. He's saying to these grieving people, here's where comfort comes from. Truth about God. 
The first idea that we want to talk about, the first thing we're going to break down as we look at this, is those five verses scream the reality. He is coming. He is coming. And for some reason at times when you even go to say that, there's this twinge of almost like nervousness or fear or wondering. Paul's saying the second coming of Christ is always a comfort to the believer. He ends it with that it may encourage you. But the first idea we want to look at is he is coming. One of the things we're going to do is it really helped me understanding, hey, what's the process of what that looks like? What's the process? Because the apostle Paul right here, he's writing to two groups of people. He's writing to those who were asleep. Those believers who had died and those who were still alive. And how do those who are still alive grieve the loss of the friend and believer? And he outlines a process. He outlines a day to come. Where in that day, he thought to, and you can tell from the text, it would have been in his lifetime. Here we are about 1,900 years later. 40% of America, by the way, thinks it'll be in this lifetime. Right? Paul thought that. Who knows? But he's writing this letter to encourage them, and he outlines this process where how will the second coming of Christ begin? And he says it right here. The Lord himself will descend. So Jesus Christ from heaven will come. He's not going to send people to get his church. He's going to come get his church. How's he going to do it? With a cry of command. Like a strong military leader, he'll come and he will say to his family, he will say, soldiers, fall in. With the voice of an archangel. So as Christ comes with this command, he will be met with the sound of an angel. For those of you that love angelology, that's not really a big passion of mine. But if you want, you can go read Jude where it talks about Michael being an archangel. Biblically, there are other references to where there's not just one, there's others. So who is that voice? We don't know. Right? If I had to guess, I'd say Michael, but I don't know. But here's what I know. He's coming with a command, and as he commands, his people will join in yelling with him in the voice of an archangel. And what will surround that moment? The sound of a trumpet. There were two groups of people Paul's writing this to, a Jewish audience and then those who'd really converted out of a, out of a Greek culture the Jewish audience throughout the Old Testament, whenever God went to do two things, to mobilize his people, to march them, to send them, he announced it through trumpet. And literally, depending on a trumpet blast, you can find this in the book of Numbers, was the direction, hey, here's where we're going to go. Here's the direction to lead from. And he'd send them out. The second thing a trumpet did is it called people to war. Now, those who were coming out of Roman society, here's what they would have known. They would have known, because it would have been a major city there, Thessalonica, trumpets always accompanied the sound or the arrival of someone who was a big deal. Royalty, dignitary, influential, whoever. They were always met with the sound of a trumpet. And then he goes on to talk about this. Remember those two groups of people I told you? The dead, those who'd passed, those who were asleep, and the alive. He says, the dead will rise first. Here's where, as we go to teach this, here's where the part where I get really excited. 
There's a whole theme of how this can break down. We'll talk through that in a minute, but here's what I'm telling you. While I care about how all this breaks down, while I care about eschatology and end times, here's the key focus. Those friends that, that believed in Christ, that placed their faith in him, and perhaps died through persecution at the hands of the people in the same town that you wonder about, that you worry about, they are at no disadvantage. They will not miss out. Christ will not forget them. They will rise first, and they will meet him in the air. It's in that moment, here's what I believe happens, 1 Corinthians 15. We're not, we're not going to turn there, but it's verses 51 through 53. Those dead, where they've been, they've been in the presence of God and the form of a soul. And it's in that moment from death, what are they coming? They're taking an imperishable, a broken body, and they're reuniting it with soul into a glorified form. The form they will keep, the form that they will take for an eternity. The dead will rise first. And then he goes on. So the dead have come, and they've met Christ in the air. Then we who are alive, who are left, that's those, the believers, that's the church, the people of God, who at this point in time, in the history throughout eternity, are still there. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So it's this theme that the bodies will rise to meet in the air, in the clouds with Jesus Christ. And then from that, the church, there's a moment, there's a snatching up. There's a taking where they rise and we meet Christ in the clouds. Paul's telling these people, your friends and your family, your forgotten loved ones, you won't forget them for an eternity. You will meet them in the air. Along with who else? The king himself, the one who so loves you, who so loves me, he doesn't send a dignitary to collect us. He collects us himself. Why? Because you are part of his family. Because he purchased you the same way he purchased me, with love. And we will rise to meet him in the air. So that's where we get, here's the process that's outlined through this text. We rise to meet him in the air. He is coming is what it's teaching. Now here's where, so you know, all Christians agree on this. But what happens next? There's healthy disagreement over. And here's what I mean by healthy disagreement. Right, there are people who love God's word, who trust God's word, who rely on God's word, and they read about what occurs next in a different way. Church, that's okay. That is okay. I want to show you guys real quickly a graph, one of the things I had some folks make up for me here, that I really think will help us think through and connect on this. And if we're not able to get a graph, I'll talk you through it. All right? Imagine, if you will, like imagine with me a bullseye, a bullseye in a target graph. Imagine that right in the center of that graph is a red circle like all good bullseyes would have. And in that circle is the essentials. Essentials being we as Christians, here's what has made up orthodox Christianity for two millennia. 
things that would go in there, the Trinity, the humanity and deity of Christ, that you're saved by grace through faith, through no works of your own. It's things that have always marked God's church. That's a center circle. His second coming is an essential. What, what happens after that is we begin to look at theological discussions, debates, late nights spent by a fire hanging out, out of the essential circle. Where do we go? Convictions. A good way to think about convictions. All right, there, there can be healthy reasons why there are different denominations. A view of infant baptism versus believer's baptism. Right, depending on where you'd put that to, right, a role of the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. Convictions. These are things that we are united under the same banner. But we can go and worship in a different place on a Sunday morning. Is our cause for Christ the same? Do we all believe he's coming again? Yes. And then out of convictions, you get to the circle called opinions. Opinions. Now, people would probably disagree with me on this. But how Christ will come back, I'm putting in the opinion category. Here's what I mean by that. It matters. It impacts the way you read and inform your Bible. I'm going to tell you where my conviction lands. But this is one as you come here, as you sit here, depending on your environment, your background, and you disagree. Here's what we can't disagree over. We win. We win. And who does victory belong to? Christ. So if one day when Jesus Christ comes back and he looks at me and I, my, my view of it, my eschatology was off or I'd missed it here, I'd missed it there, I don't think I'm going to be too bummed out. Now, do I, as a teacher of God's word, will I stand before him rightly dividing and giving it to you? Yes. So you'll hear my conviction. But if you disagree, let's go talk about it and then eat tacos and then go hang out after it does not divide fellowship. Questions, I just wanted to put questions on there because that's stuff like, what happened to the dinosaurs, right? Fun, interesting, I got an opinion, let's talk about it. But really, if you disagree, I'm moving on pretty quick. But this is what I'm asking you guys to think about when it comes to all things, essentials, convictions, things that matter, opinions, things that do matter. Questions. My conviction, and this is where, so you know, I have to acknowledge, I am partially stepping outside of this text. Because where this text, text stops is meet them in the air, and they will be forever with the Lord, always. So the part I want to step out and acknowledge is, hey, if you're coming here and you're hanging out, here's where I land. That this moment, they meet him in the air, and that point, I don't believe they come right back down. I believe they ascend. People would call it the rapture. Nicolas Cage made a movie on it. I do not recommend it. <laughs> Kirk Cameron popularized it. There's a book called Left Behind that I did not base my theology on, right? But they go back up. What happens then is it ushers in a seven-year time of tribulation. The first three and a half, it's okay. The next three and a half, brutal, and God pours out wrath upon those who have left as he's removed his church what comes to rise to that? The Antichrist. At the end of that time, Christ will return, except this time he won't meet in the air. He will come down and his feet will touch the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. He will take the Antichrist, he will take Satan, he will throw them in the lake of fire. And he will initiate 
his millennial reign, a literal thousand-year time where he will reign from a throne in Jerusalem. At the end of that millennial reign, here's what will happen. He will let loose again Satan. There will be one final battle where he's going to win. Why? Because he's king and victory's already assured. Where he will win, he will take Satan. He will bind him, cast him to hell for all eternity. There will be a moment then that comes a white throne judgment where those who've rejected God will come, they will stand before, and they will be judged for their works, and they too will be banished for eternity to hell. Christ will come, and with God, he will usher in a new heavens and a new earth. He will redeem Eden. And that's where, for those who believe, we will worship the Lord forever. That's my view. You, you could call that. There's a term people will use. I really try hard to avoid a lot of these terms because they can get so mixed up. People view it dispensational premillennialism. Now, if you came and you said, hey, and you don't even know what that term even means, really glad you're here. Jesus is king. Let's go tell the world. Right? But if you come, you're postmillennialism, you're amillennialist. I have a buddy here who joke, uh, jokes all the time. He's like, man, I'm a panmillennialist. And I'm like, at first time, I was like, I don't even know what that means. What does that mean? He's like, it's just all going to pan out. <laughs> right? We're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. Why do I hold to that conviction? There's three things. One, because when I read my Bible, there's a whole chunk of it that I got to read is the plain, literal reading. And when it comes to prophetic passages, I'd have to change that. I'd have to make it more figurative, more allegorical. It violates my conscience. The second thing, and this is for those who really care, I do believe there's a difference between the church and Israel. Third reason, when I trusted Christ, there were men and women that I looked up to. When I looked up to them, I said, I want marriages like that. I want to be faithful like that. I want to steward money like that. I want to disciple kids like that. I want to go out and tell the world just like that. I want to imitate that faith. And when I asked him about this, this was the way they discipled me in the reading of God's word. And if I trust him in every area, and as I've gone, I've studied on my own, I trust him in this. So guys, here's what you gotta see from this text. Paul, he's writing, he's saying he's coming because he loves. There's a process to it. There's differences in how we as a church can read it, and that's okay. But what we must know is that he is coming. Y'all want to keep reading? All right, we're going to jump back into the text. Look at the second theme, the second theme here. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. What I'm going to do here is, because we've all read it, I'm going to pull out just a couple of the key themes. The key themes, right? There's going to be four of them. The first one is, we do not grieve as others who have no hope, the second one, when we who are alive, who are left, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Here's the key phrase, to meet the Lord in the air. Final one, therefore, last verse, encourage one another with these words. As we think through the framework that he is coming, as we look at the text, the five verses, there is a process, there's differences, but there's a truth we all align on. He's coming. But his coming, what is it pointing to? Because he's glorious and good, it's reminding us in everything he does, 
He is good. He is good. The first reference I made for us is we are not those who mourn without hope. Right? It's the reality that because he's good, he defeated death. He's called us to himself to set us free, to live a life of faithfulness. And because of that, when a Christian dies, we grieve, but we grieve with hope. Why? Because his second coming proves death isn't the end. Death is not the end. The second reason why he is good is he comes as himself. He comes to meet us in the air. What will that moment be like? I have no idea. I have no idea. 1 Corinthians 15 describes this happening in a twinkling of an eye, I think. But I know in that moment, I'll be able to look at him, see pierced hand, pierced feet, and realize you were good the whole time. Every doubt I had, every moment I pled for more faith, the moments when I prayed, you heard me, you never forsake me, you never forgot me, you have always been with me. I proclaimed you as good, and now I see you in a different way as good. We'll finally meet Jesus in a different way than we do now. The third reason why he is good in this text points to it as it says, we will meet him in the air with them. With them. Who's the them pointing to? Those who had been asleep. Christians who died, who'd passed, who'd gone on. The family and friends, the martyrs before, the loved ones. And that's where for Christians we see. We don't ever truly say goodbye. There's more of a I'll see you later. And, and why is he doing this? Why is he setting this up? The whole verse ends it. Therefore, encourage one another. It's so that throughout churches for centuries, so that one day you and I in New Braunfels, Texas, from different backgrounds, different experiences, different pains, different happiness, different weeks, would come and we would be able to know when life we feel alone, we can encourage ourselves with the truth is he will Come for me. Either I will meet him first in death, or I will meet him in the air. But he is good, and he will come. He has not forsaken. He has not forgotten. He loves me. And there's this wonderful reunion of family. A couple weeks ago, my cousin got married. He lives in Chicago. I had the chance to go... Uh, hang out with him. I flew into, anybody into, been to Chicago O'Hare? Massive airport. Okay, it's huge. Right, well, I fly in there. I landed about, I don't know, 30 minutes before my parents went and hung out with them. I checked the clock. I didn't think that was gonna be time. They'd been a little delayed. I got off and I wanted to surprise them. I wanted to see him because we'd already had plans. Hey, we'll meet because we're all gonna get a rental car kind of near baggage claim. Hey, I'll see you at baggage claim. But I was already behind security, so I knew, and O'Hare's huge. If I book it, I can surprise him right there at the gate. I'm blessed and privileged to wear. Love my parents. Love the chance to get to see them. And it was a reunion I was looking forward to. 
So I take this, I grab this backpack as I'm all of a sudden wearing this coat, even though I'd worn shorts because I was coming from Texas and Chicago was freezing, and I'm booking it through the airport, like jumping behind people. You would think they'd have those like automatic escalator things. No, uh-uh. So all that to say is, got in way more exercise that day than what I would have liked, but I grab this suitcase and I take it and I gotta get, literally get from one section because I flew Southwest to another, they flew Delta, whole nother terminal, there's no train, there's no bus, there's you book it. I get there, right as the plane, the first folks, I guess it would have been first class, is coming out. And man, I'm so excited. I couldn't wait to see him. I was looking forward to it. And I can remember seeing people come and people come and people come. I had an iPad with me and we've got a, we've got a photo of the moment. Right? I got an iPad with me and I pulled it up. If you can't see that, that's my, my mom and my dad's name. It's Greg and Mary. Because I'd always seen the guys, you come down the escalator and they're like, hey, you got a driver for you? And it was like my joke on simply showing. I was so excited to see him. And I can see people walking off and I'm probably 20 yards away. And there's this line and this line. And I keep thinking, Where? are they? It felt like the whole plane had already uh, uh, gotten off of it, and I just keep seeing person after person after person, and I see my mom walk out, and I see my dad walk out. They turn that corner, because you come out of that jetway, everything opens up, they immediately like, baggage claim, where? They turn, they start heading right, there's this group of people, they turn the corner, and there I am, just holding my silly little sign because I couldn't wait to see them, right? There's another photo of me hanging out. That's my parents, Greg and Mary right there. They're great people. Some of you may have met them, but I can remember standing there. That smile wasn't fake. It was real joy at the reunion of being with them. And here's what I'm telling you. I felt that way here. I know not everyone has the same relationship with their parents, but I felt that excitement for a union here. If my parents go on to be with God before me, and there's a moment where we're caught in the air or I see him in eternity, I'll still have that reunion moment there. Do I believe it will be eclipsed by the gratitude of finally getting to meet Jesus? For sure. But do I believe I'll see him? Yes. I think they'll even have personhood to it. Why? Mount of transfiguration. Peter was there. He knew, he knew it was Elijah. He, he knew it was Moses. Lazarus, the rich man and the poor man who's trapped in hell and he sees across the chasm. He knew it was Abraham. And yet he acknowledged his miss and his want to help his family members. Here's what I'm telling you. What it'll be like, I don't know. It's mystery. What I do know, he's good. And because he's good, I, I really do think will be united with Christ and reunited with them to worship him for an eternity. And all the moment will do is give us a gratitude over he is good. Because imagine to the moment where I sat there and I saw them deplaning them coming out of the jetway and I waited and I'm almost counting person by person. No, that's not them. No, 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 that's not them. Where are they? How far back are they? That's not them. In the same way now, Jesus Christ, because only God the Father knows the time, Jesus Christ stands waiting, cannot wait to be reunited with my bride. I cannot wait for the moment when it's me 
and my church and the reunion is far better than me and my parents. If I so look forward to that, church, he can't wait to be with you. Why? Because with his people, with his family, there's a worship and a glorifying of him and a father for eternity. Death and sorrow's gone. What he bought for, he can fully give. He is good. Why do we as Christians, why do we never truly say goodbye, but we do say I'll see you later? The first reason, he's coming. There's a second coming of Christ. It's true. One day it will happen. It will happen in the twinkling of an eye, and we'll talk about trying to plan it out next week. But the second reason, he's good. He has loved us from eternity past. He's bought us. He'll be reunited with us. My friend that I told you about at the beginning of the service, his name's Moses. He was the reason I really got to meet Moses. I'd come, I'd moved to Dallas. I didn't know a soul, not a person. I was trying to get connected with God. Eventually, I came to trust Christ. I realized I don't have to work for anything. I just have to believe. Changed everything. But it was right about then, I met a homeless guy on a corner. His name was Moses. I was going to church by myself. I was a consultant, so I was making more money than what I knew what to do with the 22. And I can just remember thinking, well, hey, I go alone. He doesn't have anything. We can get lunch. Do you want to come? Right? And I can remember having this moment of, hey, you just want to come and hang out. I was wrestling through faith. He was wrestling through faith and where the process was. I can remember probably the second time he came, there's this moment where he shows up. We sit in the back row, right? He'd been on the streets for 26 years. All the dysfunction and brokenness that came with it, and we're sitting there, and there's this sermon where they're talking about the redemptive value of Jesus Christ, how there's no condemnation. I can remember sitting there praying for him, right? Because I was totally new in faith. Didn't know up from down, but I wanted to tell the world and I didn't know how. I'm praying for him as he's sitting in this chair. And we go out and all of a sudden, this was church. It was, it was a really big place. Parking was a total nightmare there, right? And we get stuck in this parking garage. And we sat there trying to get out for 25 minutes. And by the grace of God, Moses left the parking garage different than when we drove the car in. God transformed his heart. God changed him. We went, we ate a meal. I still, I didn't know anybody. So literally, he would come with me to a recovery group on a Monday. He'd go to church with me on a Sunday. And then a lot of times during the week, we'd eat Popeyes, hang out with him and friends back in these little section of woods. Moses continued growing in faith, taking steps of faithfulness. Was he perfect? Nope. But did he love God? Yes. I can remember the first time, or excuse me, I can remember the moment, though, when I started to realize Moses had died. My friend called me. He's a dear friend of mine. He'd become a friend of Moses's too. A physician had called him. Here's what we found out. That phone call came on a Monday. Thursday before, Moses had been crossing the street. He was hit by a vehicle. He was rushed to Baylor Hospital in downtown Dallas. He was placed on life support. They went through, the medical examiner, they, they couldn't find any family information on Moses. He'd been estranged from them for about 23 years. Couldn't find anything. And where Moses is then is he's gone and he's lost 
brain function. And they're thinking through removing him from life support. So they pull out his phone and they call the last number that Moses had dialed, which was my friend. He calls me, of course. We go to the hospital. It was my first time seeing somebody on life support. I can remember walking into the hospital, connecting with the physician, and I asked all these pragmatic questions. Hey, is this an issue of money? Is this an issue of insurance? Is there anything like resources that could serve or help? And the physician said, no. He lost brain function. We need to remove him from life support. They brought in uh, the chaplain. We're connecting with the chaplain. The chaplain is asking us these questions about it. Because to them, we're just two kids that come and just cared for a homeless guy, and nobody really knew what was the deal. And I remember the chaplain coming to comfort And I can remember standing there with my friend as we'd watched Moses' life changed, as we went and got baptized with him on the same day. Moses baptized me and I baptized him. I can remember standing there and thinking, this is not the end. Like even as the respirator raised his lungs up and then down, this is not the end. I'll see him again. There's this beautiful thing, too, because he was just about to get housing. Housing is not a home. And there was this reality of, hey, Christ brought him home first. His first real home. He brought him home. I didn't have to say goodbye to Moses. All I had to say was, I'll see you later. Was there grief? Yeah. It It really did change stuff for me. There was sadness. He actually was a friend. But there was also a reality of, I'm gonna see him again, man. Like he, because of drugs, he'd lost all his teeth and I will see him, well, depending on the timing of it, one day (laughs) with glorified teeth. You don't know how many times he talked to me about getting dentures. I'll see that moment. I don't have to say, I'll say goodbye. I just have to say, I'll see you later. Why? Because the love of Jesus Christ had changed him. So church, we don't say goodbye. We say, I'll see you later. But folks, you have no idea when he returns. You have no idea how long you have on this earth. As we approach faith, it's not trivial. As we approach engaging with people who disagree or don't believe, who don't like Jesus, it's not trivial. He loves them more than we do, but he has sent us to love them as he does. So church, we don't say goodbye. We say, see you later. But as we do, let's go. Let me pray that we would do that. Father, I thank you for the comfort of your word, how, how theology, how theology matters. And when we rightly understand you, it brings peace. I thank you for the time where we talk. I thank you for the reality that one day you are coming in the reality that you are good. Your king, we bow the knee. Would you change hearts in here who are working through faith? Would you change hearts in here who've grown up around you, but they don't know you? Would you change hearts in here to fall more in love with you, even though they already do? Would you help me to love you more than what I do? We thank you for everything you've done. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, y'all, if you have questions about anything, 
please don't hesitate to come down and ask a question or turn to a neighbor and say, hey, you got time for lunch. We are glad you're here, and I pray y'all have a wonderful Thanksgiving and a great week of worship. See you next Sunday.